I want to ask you a question this morning. What can a king not do? Is there a limit to a king? A king can travel wherever and whenever he wants. A king can entertain himself with whatever he wants. A king can spend his time doing whatever he wants. A king is not limited by any limitations. Indeed, a king can do whatever he wishes. Not only does the king enforce freedom, but he is the pinnacle of freedom. Indeed, a king is the epitome of freedom because in a kingdom, there is no one who rules the king. He can do whatever he wishes. If this is true, that an earthly king has no restrictions, how much more true is it about a heavenly king? Does he have any restrictions? John chapter 1 verse 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Scripture is giving us a description of the Trinity by telling us that Jesus has always ruled on the heavenly throne with the Father. He has always been the King of Kings. And that's what the book of Isaiah says. Matter of fact, we have it hanging up in our sanctuary. His name shall be called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the Messiah that was born. Do you know why he's called the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Because a king makes a decree and a lord sees that it is enforced in a territory. This is give us a picture that Jesus is the one who makes the decree and he's also the enforcer of the decree. Matter of fact, he came down and he did it himself. He doesn't just speak and let someone else do it for him. If you all heard the, the adage, if you can't do a job, do it yourself. Well, Jesus did. He came and he did it himself for us. He took care of business. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. The heavenly king has been unrestricted for eternity. Literally his heart beat has been the life force of the universe. Just as a bright ball of fire called the sun illuminates our solar system, so does the Son of God, is that he brings life and illumination into the structure of the universe forever. Not only is this king a ruler, but he is also creator. Colossians 1.16 tells us that all things were created by him. And through him, that Jesus was the creative force of God. He was the one that created everything. <coughs> God the Father is the transcendent force that ex- exists outside of uh, time and space. But Christ is the imminent force who does and reveals all things on this side of eternity. God the Son was the one who literally wrote the strands of the DNA that would define the color of his hair. God the Son formed the miry clay in the garden to make up Adam. He was the present and imminent manifestation of God's power and presence. And the same men that Christ created would be the ones who would nail him to a tree. The creative force of the universe was present before he was in a baby. 
God the Son existed in unrestricted form as he manifested constantly in heaven and on earth during the entire act of creation. Indeed, it was God the Son that walked in the garden with God. It was God the Son that danced in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As the scripture says, there is one in the fire who looks like the Son of Man. This was the present force of God the Son. He was the one that dined with the elders on Mount Sinai. The King of kings and Lord of lords has reigned on the throne of God before the universe began. And nothing has ever restricted the King of kings. But the story that I must tell today is a different story. The story today is about an unrestricted king who becomes restricted. The story today is about an unlimited being who becomes limited by the own parameters of creation that he set forth. I ask that you turn with me to the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, if you would. Interestingly enough, the passage of Scripture that Pastor Dave read to kick off our worship service is exactly the passage of Scripture the Holy Spirit led me to in preparation for today's sermon. Now, you're all going to be familiar with it, but I want to maybe pull out some things that you've not noticed. Second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, And wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now let me fast forward to the story about the shepherds in verse 12. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Let God bless the reading of his word today. In these particular verses, I am fond of the King James, the New King James, and also the English Standard Version because they give us a description of the type of cloths that Jesus was wrapped in different than, per se, the New International Version. The ESV and the King James says that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths. I researched the meaning of this in the Greek, and the swaddling cloths is something similar to what they do today. They take bits of cloth, and they wrap the baby tightly in order to bind his hands, his arms, and his feet, because it mimics the conditions of the womb and makes a baby very comfortable. You probably did this with your own children, to wrap them tightly in snug bands of cloth. So here is the Christmas picture I want to give you today about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that he goes from infinite unrestriction to being bound in strips of cloth where he couldn't move his arms, he couldn't move his feet, and he couldn't move his body. 
On that day when he came into this earth, he forfeited all power, laid it aside at the throne of God, and his destiny now laid in the arms of a virgin named Mary and a carpenter named Joseph. These individuals that Jesus were born were so poor that at the time of his consecration, they didn't have enough money to offer a lamb, and therefore, as Luke 2.24 records, they had to offer a pair of turtle doves. I want to read something uh, for you just a minute. You stay right where you are. You can write this down if you want to. I want to read briefly Leviticus to explain this. Some of you probably have a pair of turtle doves hanging on your Christmas tree. Here's what Leviticus says. Talking about any woman that gives birth to a child. Says Leviticus chapter 12 verse 4. She shall continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch anything nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. And if she bears a female child she shall be unclean two weeks. And then continue in purification for 66 days. We always know that girls are harder to raise than boys. And it evidently right from the start you got to wait longer to be purified. Uh, Leviticus 12, 6. When the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering. And verse 8 says, if she is not able to bring a lamb, means she's too poor, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. Now we find in Luke Uh, later on in the gospel Luke verse 24 that she did not offer a lamb and the reason was because she was so poor she didn't even have enough money to buy one she had to go get two turtle doves as her offering to consecrate Christ so this was the conditions in which the son of God was born into the king of the universe that had only known infinite royalty and power now dwelt with a family that that couldn't I mean they they were on the the Hebrew version of welfare Normally you're supposed to buy this, but if you're too poor, then just buy this. And that's what they had to do. This is how poor the family of the Son of God was. They were of such low regard in society that no one offered them housing. You mean in the entire village of Bethlehem, no one can house this pregnant mama? They were poor foreigners. They were poor travelers. These poor little, this poor little pregnant woman was kicked to the curb. And so there you have it. The unlimited king of the universe entered one of the poorest families you could possibly imagine. And the setting of his birth was indeed the worst condition you could think. Among the filthy, stinky, dirty animals stall. Now, there's 40 million babies will be born in America, and every single one of those babies will have better birthing conditions than did the Son of God. 40 million babies. And the Son of God was born in a worse condition than all of the babies today. I don't care what kind of family they come from, the Son of God was born in a worse condition, the most unsanitary conditions possible. Didn't even have a bed for the baby had to lay it in an animal's slop trough. The king of kings, who had sat on the throne of the heavens, spent his first night sleeping in a slop trough. You see, the Lord of lords, who had never known anything other than righteousness, 
had no bed for his first day on earth. Indeed, his birth was a foreshadowing of his death. In the midst of filthy, broken, rejected, and laid on the trough built of wood. That was for animals, not for a king. But this is the beautiful picture of the humility, servitude, grace, and love of the gospel of Christ. That he willingly enters our mess. You think it surprised Jesus that he popped out into a manger? No, he knew that before he ever entered into this earth. That that was his destiny. That was his choice. That was God's choice to display his humility and servitude. He says, I have not to come to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. If the world would be searching for humility instead of hierarchy. If the world would be searching for peace instead of pleasure. If the world would be searching for the king instead of the kingdom. They would certainly find Christ in the manger. And where the babe lay wrapped in swaddling cloths, he couldn't move. He was restricted. His hands, his feet, his body was restricted. And the voice of one whose voice echoed like many waters was now reduced to the distant infant cry. Not knowing whether it indicated wanting food or, or warmth or sleep. The voice that spoke light into existence, could now only cry for food. Wow, that is amazing. You know, this is why I can never get over the gospel. I can never fathom the depths of God's grace and mercy. It is mind-blowing. I can't understand it. I pray I can just meditate on it and let it uh, permeate into my soul and my being. Because of what he did out of his joy should bring about in us so much joy that it's contagious. Is anybody with me today? Just because it's Christmas Sunday don't mean we can't get a little fired up today. Amen? Here's what we can see. It wasn't just the strips of cloth that wrapped tightly around this babe. No, the covering that was around him was the tightly wrapped grace of God. Providing Christ as the gift to humanity who would redeem mankind from their sin. The unlimited king became limited in the strips of cloth. But now I want to fast forward 33 years. And the picture that we now see is not a babe, but a man. A man who has spent his life working with stone, nails, and wood as a carpenter. He is lean and strong, weathered by his particular line of work. And he preaches the radical message of forgiveness and grace and declares that he is the Son of God who will make forgiveness possible. This message was so radical and this message was so violent that it angered the religious leaders of this day and they sought to kill him. They sought to kill the nicest guy who was the most joyful guy, who was the most radical guy that ever lived because he preached a message about God's goodness and not man's goodness. They wanted to kill this humble carpenter from Nazareth. They put him on trial before Pontius Pilate. I was making sure I didn't skip a whole page of notes. Yeah, I'm good. They put him on trial before Pontius Pilate. 
And the masses shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify the humble carpenter who's never heard a fly. Crucify the one who preaches that God loves and forgives people. Crucify the one who fed 5,000. Crucify the one who heals the sick. Can you see the insanity of people's flesh? And though this man being God in flesh is still Lord of Lords, he subjects himself to the command of public office, the command of execution. The one who decreed the universe into existence subjected himself to the decree of the people. Crucify him, crucify him. And he would die upon a tree. And now he was no longer among the animals. He is no longer among the dirt and the poor, but among the thieves and the criminals, a place he doesn't belong. He carries his cross to the place called Skull, which is the hill of Golgotha. And after being whipped and spit upon and weary, he collapses upon this wood of his sacrifice. And as he lays there, he rolls over. Looking into the sky that he made. And he lays there. Willingly for our sin. He lays there and they, they grab his hand. The hand which is clenched hammers to build houses. The hand which reached out and touched the leper. The cleanest hand the world has ever seen. They stretch it out. And they take the instrument which he is familiar with. They take that nail. And he knows nails. He's used them to build and they place it. On his hands and his wrists. And with every blow of the hammer. They hang him to the cross. And they stretch out his other hand. And they take that nail. And the hammer which he's wielded for so many years. And they stab him in the wrist. And they crucify him. With his arms stretched out wide. And they don't stop there. They take his feet. They put his feet on the tree. And they drive nails through his feet with the hammer and they crucify his legs. And there stands the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who literally created the fabric that would make wood. He created the men which put him there. And he was raised up so that the world would see the love of God. And there he was. He couldn't move his hands. He couldn't move his feet. And the message of Christmas is that he went from swaddling cloths to swaddling nails. The unrestricted king became restricted for you and me. You see, Mary... Leviticus says that a woman has to wait 33 days before she brings a lamb to the priest. Mary didn't wait 33 days. She waited 33 years. And there on Golgotha, Mary stood. And Mary finally offered a lamb. That was her lamb of God. That was innocent. Spotless lamb offered for the consecration of her sin. Because Mary wouldn't get to heaven. Unless her son died. But my friends, the story doesn't stop there. 
Though his arms were restricted, his blood was not. They could stop his hands from moving, but they couldn't stop the blood from spilling from his side. They could stop his feet from treading on this earth, but they could not stop his heart from pulsating that precious blood out of his veins and his skull and his side where they was pierced. And if they could have stopped the Son of God, they would have kept him from bleeding because it was his precious blood that paid for sin. And when that blood flowed, and when the last drop of blood fell to the earth, when he breathed his last breath, it is finished. Even though his arms didn't move, hell did. Hell quaked at the victory of the Son of God. And heaven moved, and the temple veil was torn, and the veil moved, and it gave us unlimited access to the throne room of God through grace. And now every day of your life, you don't have to go offer turtle doves to be made right with God, because Jesus has made you right. Can we praise God today, church? craziest part about the whole thing is that you can't do anything to earn it. Just belief. Belief in the Son of God. Every one of you operated in belief today. You believed your car was going to bring you to church and not explode. You operated in the realm of faith. You believed. When you put oatmeal in your mouth, it wasn't poison. You believe when you drank coffee, it wasn't motor oil. You believed and you operated in the realm of faith. And now what you have to do for the rest of your life is operate in the realm of faith. If you've never stepped forward into a relationship with the Son of God through faith, I pray today is the day of salvation. You say, preacher, how do you do that? You, right now in your heart. Right now, you just get honest with God. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. My sin put you on that tree. And you hung there to say you loved me. And now I believe in you. Respond to God's invitation. My friend, because if we don't respond in faith, God's blood is not applied to your life, then you have lived in vain. Your life would be a waste you died without Jesus Christ. I want you to stand and I encourage you to do this today. Whatever God's laying on your heart, if it's to come forward in faith and say, Pastor, I'm ready to trust Christ. I'm ready to walk with his lordship of my life and be a Christian. Maybe you've been waiting to, to join a church home and today you say, I can't think of a better day than about Christmas when we celebrate homecoming and Jesus coming to this world to come into a family of God. Would you come forward and say, Pastor, we're ready to become a member of this church. And thirdly, the altar is open for those who need to get on their knees before God. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would soften our hearts do with us today what you will. Bring about your glory in our life so that people would praise you and glorify our Father in heaven. Be magnified in this place and in our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.